Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the world of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the world of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Jet Galindo, who's a mixing and mastering engineer and soprano singer based in Los Angeles. Jet has worked on countless high-profile projects in her career so far, such as the soundtracks for La La Land and Chicory, A Colorful Tale, and has worked with artists like Toa Bird, Pink Floyd, and countless others. In this episode, we talk about Jet's journey from the Philippines to the U.S., how she got into music mastering in the first place, how she faced overt sexism in the industry that she wanted to be a part of, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Jet Galindo. First question for you is, I want you (laughs) to just explain what mastering is. And I'm sure you've been asked this 10,000 times, but it is always misrepresented and is always misdefined. And people always come up to me and be like, well, I need to master my game audio. And I know they're talking about it wrong. (laughs) So I want to hear from you, the mastering engineer, what it is. No, that's true. I guess like mastering can mean so many things, especially when we're talking about like the video game world, the film world. But let me talk about what I do as a master engineer for music and a master engineer for music tend to like also cross over into like other fields like video game. But in a nutshell, what I do is mastering is the last stage technically of the entire music production process before the music gets delivered for mass consumption in in whatever format you're listening to, streaming platforms, CDs. We're just making sure that we have that last stage of quality control to make sure that your music, even though the intent for the mixing stage is you finalize and approve the mix, at the mastering stage, now you're focusing on making sure that what you've created from recording, arranging, songwriting, uh, mixing, make sure that it translates to like whatever platform you're listening to the music to making sure that it's not just sonically competitive but just cohesive with like the rest of the music that's out there and we're also talking about cohesion when it comes to album listening so for mixing you tend to be like working on one piece of music at a time but then when it's compiled into an album there are a lot of other elements that come into play just making sure that the spacing just feels right feels good and making sure that it just flows as one entire entity from first song all the way to the end i always like to use the analogy of food when when describing mastering so for example when you're creating a dish it starts with like the three main general steps in the music production process the first is recording right so recording you're gathering all your ingredients even making sure that you're not just gathering the ingredients, but also having the proper measurement and just having everything ready. And mixing is the time when all of these dishes are combined together into one dish. And it's not just something where you just throw everything in one go, right? It's like sometimes there's a lot of like steps and you start with the flour and then even the the whole process of blending all your ingredients together is also crucial. And then Mastering is when you're baking, you're like throwing the dish into the oven and making sure that it just comes into its final form. And it's funny because our studio is called the bakery in a way. So yeah, in a nutshell, that's it. A lot of people tend to think that it's just purely technical, but there is a lot of room for creativity in the mastering stage. And I, I get asked, like, can I master my own music? Well, yes, you can. In fact, like a lot of mixers can master the music within the same session, but a lot of it also has to do with perspective. With mixing, you have all these individual tracks in in the session, like individual instruments, making sure that they're all blended perfectly into one entity. But mastering, the perspective is that you're doing the final adjustments within the context of stereo two bus processing and a lot of room for creativity there. 
Oh, absolutely. And you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of room for creativity, but there's a kind of misconception where it's like, oh, I'll put a limiter on the master track and we're good. So what other bits of creativity are there? So the thing is, it's like, it's not necessarily a misconception because at the end of the day, limiter can can be just all you need to take it to its final destination. And even the choice on, on what limiter you're using, what limiter parameters there are, even that already makes a huge difference. I guess another misconception with mastering is that you have to throw as many stuff in there, including the kitchen sink. And yeah, like, I guess one of the things that make mastering so mysterious, like what people say, is like the dark arts. It's like, how can a mastering engineer transform your music from this into like this, like entirely and fully realized music? And the misconception is, Master engineers throw everything, like compressor, like harmonizer, reverb, what else? Uh, saturator, um, stereo expander. Dude, <laughs> sometimes all you need is a limiter. And, and not even a compressor. Like, even doing your clip gains, just volume rides and clip gain automation will make, sometimes make a huge difference as opposed to a compressor. It, it's really this restraint, less is more mindset that actually is the game changer in mastering. And I, I guess that's one common misconception. And at the end of the day, what serves the music is is what you should aim for. There's also the discussion that mastering should only be done with non-limited stereo mixes. You, you'll probably see in some articles out there, how do you deliver your mixes to a mastering engineer? There's this very common misconception that you have to bypass the limiter on your end when you're delivering your mixes to mastering. There's no firm right or wrong because at the end of the day, what we're thinking about is the music. And at times, whatever stuff you put on your two-bus processing as a mix engineer or producer, it can determine the final sound of your music. And sometimes when, when you just follow a blanket rule to bypass the two-bus processing, your entire mix can collapse. So I tend to have a rule where it's also great to provide the limited mix, the mix that has been approved by everyone, to your mastering engineer. Sometimes it might even be more effective instead of sending a non-limited mix to send a less limited mix so that your mix doesn't fully collapse when the tubas processing is a very essential factor to the overall sound. So yeah, just, just a couple of, of misconceptions out there. Now, I want to take a big step back before you even became the Jet Galindo we know today, because I know that when you were first getting you know, into this, you weren't necessarily encouraged to go into music or sound or anything like that. Even though you come from a musical family and all that, it, there was like uncertainty around that. And there was even the mindset of, I believe you got your degree in psychology. I don't know if you finished with it. Or I did. You... I graduated. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. So tell me about that transition and how you kind of got there later, because I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, if I don't go when I'm 18 right away as my first thing, there's no chance of me ever doing anything. Yeah, I I'm glad you asked that question. So I don't often get to mention when I started my audio career full time, but it technically started when I was 21. And that was right after I graduated in college with my psychology degree. But then I went to Berkeley College of Music to pursue formal audio engineering studies when I was 24, back in 2009. But about that transition, so the reason why I actually went to college for psychology is, number one, although my parents are full-time musicians, just a quick background, my parents are quite unconventional ever since I, w I was, even before I was born, what they do was they, they train cover bands. They train and manage pop cover bands in the Philippines. And eventually one of the bands that my parents manage, and actually a lot of my family members are part of that band, eventually took off and became famous for their original music. So even to this day, my parents kind of travel the world I'm touring with, with the band. But yeah, so I'm exposed to music. I grew up just listening to live music 
playing in the music room, always like a very lively household. But my parents' main request is that I don't pursue music for college. And at the end of the day, it's like, I wasn't really thinking that I would pursue music because like Filipinos, um, music is just part of our everyday life and you're not expected to study music, but my parents just said it anyway. It's like, the reason why they say that is because them being musicians, they understand the gamble um, pursuing music. And at the end of the day, it's like, it's hard to resist what is already in your DNA. And in fact, it's funny because I'm not the only one in my um, extended family to end up in, in music in one way or another. Like, I have a cousin who graduated microbiology who is now a um, jazz singer in the Philippines. And it's such a common thing. But what I decided is to choose a college degree that is pretty versatile, something that I could apply to many other things, decided on psychology, because in, in a way that allowed me as well to still pursue music in college while I'm, I'm studying psychology. And in fact, I ended up being part of this choral group that toured all over the world from, from my college. And I was in junior or, or senior year where I'm grappling with my future because I really have no direction, but I just knew that I love music. And I also love technology. I've loved building computers with my dad. I was very much into like learning about the web and like coding back in the, the late 90s when it was starting. I love everything technology and music. But as a musician, I'm not really a songwriter. I'm not a producer. I just love technology. And it, um, it was when I toured with my choir here in the U.S. back in 2004 where I discovered that there's a career called audio engineering and everything just clicked. And it's weird. It really felt like a vocation to me that thousands of miles away in the Philippines, I just knew that there is nothing else that I'm going to do except sound engineering. But there's really no audio engineering school in the Philippines. So I just knew that I'm going to have to study abroad. But in the meantime, let me just keep myself immersed to as much technology as possible. And it just so happened that in the university that I graduated from, there's this multimedia training facility. This is very random. I'm not sure if you've seen it in my bios. I'm, I was able to get a job training priests and nuns <laughs> to develop websites, do graphics design, video editing. It was a fun time, but it just so happened. I guess it's like... You know how when you're dedicated to something, a lot of things kind of like fall into place. And that kind of happened for me because I didn't know when I started um, my job there that they actually have a recording studio. So I, I graduated from a Catholic university, Jesuit college, and they have a music label that just released all this well-known like religious music for the entire Philippines and it has a, a very substantial following and I've always like really admired their music and it just so happened that I I'm in the building where they recorded their music and I told the director there that I'm working here because I just wanted to be immersed with as much technology before I pursue audio engineering in in the U.S. and he said oh well why not intern in our recording studio? It's like, holy shit. I really did not know that there was an opportunity for me to shadow in a commercial recording studio, but it just worked out. But I guess another thing that, that I tend to share with, with my story is that I almost didn't get the internship because the senior head engineer of the recording studio almost didn't accept me as an intern because he found out at the last minute that Jet Galindo was a girl. And... The recording studios need to have dudes behind the console or something. <laughs> but at that point, it's like, it's fucking too late. You, you need to have assistance because we're going to have these recording sessions. So yeah, I just stayed there, worked during the day, teaching priests and nuns how to make websites. And then at night, I would assist in sessions. And I kept staying. It's what made me happy. There was another intern, but they didn't last as long. Everything just felt it just felt like I'm at the right place where I'm meant to be. 
and eventually from there, I ended up becoming a full-time in-house sound engineer for that studio. In the Philippines, you're expected to engineer everything. So from recording to mixing and mastering. And I'm fortunate enough that my mentor taught me the proper way of mastering, the amount of resources that we had. We used WaveLab for mastering, Pro Tools for recording and mixing. Eventually, after four and a half years, I, I went to Berklee College of Music and, and pursued audio engineering. And that's after four years of working in a studio. One of the great things about like not having to jump straight into Berkeley, because I've, I've met a lot of my classmates who were like 18, 16, didn't know what they really wanted. But I was there as like one of the older students at 24. I knew exactly what I wanted. And I guess I was able to make the most use of my time um, in Berkeley. I had the honor of expanding my portfolio as much as I could back there because I would just go to school during the day and then just record as much music with the musicians around me who are fucking amazing. It's kind of like an amazing bubble where I was just spoiled as an engineer to be surrounded by these amazing, talented musicians of different genres like you and I, like we met because of the video game choir. I, I don't think you were like technically in part of the choir, but no. you're very good friends with Julia. Yeah. But yeah, it's like we're all video game nerds. And I've worked with like mariachi music, flamenco, Indian music. In fact, like the Berkeley Contemporary Indian Ensemble, I was one of their first live sound engineers when I was there. And it kind of like became full circle because last year I ended up mastering their music, which eventually became nominated for the Best Global Music Album category at the Grammys. So, yeah, everything just felt like there's more purpose to my growth as a sound engineer by pursuing it at a later stage when I was 24. And yeah, and now I'm, I'm 38. It's, it's been a long time, but haven't looked back since. Now, I want to talk about timelines because you just mentioned, you know, 24 to 38. I'm sure it was super easy that whole time, right? Like you were going to Berkeley <laughs> from the Philippines. I'm sure finances weren't an issue at all. So I want to hear about these kind of, because like I think someone would hear that and be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Jet sounds like she does. Oh, no, I don't have that. But I want to hear about these kind of stumbling blocks, any sort of issues you had, especially during Berkeley or getting there even in the first place. Like, you know, I just told myself, let me study in Berkeley and eventually work in L.A. And yeah, that just happened. I woke up. <laughs> but to be serious, there were a lot of challenges. Like, I had no idea what I was doing, like, back in the Philippines. And I think one of the things that really helped me along the way is just just support from everyone. I've had friends from college who eventually end up like studying abroad as well. I'm asking them for advice. I think the most important thing is like my parents actually took me seriously. <laughs> it's like once I graduated from college with psychology, they said you could do whatever you want. As long as you have a psychology degree, <laughs> we won't stop you. And my parents were like my biggest supporters. Like they didn't treat me like I'm crazy for dreaming. I guess it helps that they have like unconventional paths themselves. And then like reading up on student loans was like really complex for me. And the immigration, like both of us, I I'm sure we can, we can talk about this for hours, but the whole process of becoming an international student and then eventually being a working professional here in the United States is, it's not just difficult. But it's really an emotional burden, the whole journey, because I guess I could focus on, on the immigration part, because I think that's one of the biggest challenges. And I guess it, it doesn't get discussed so often. It's changed now from then. I graduated from Berklee College of Music in 2012. And then when you graduate as an international student, you have one year to work as much as you could with your student visa. But then... After one year, you need to have a work visa, a visa that allows you to work professionally here in the U.S. And there are many ways to approach it. Like the most common is the H-1B, where a company petitions for you. Mm -hmm. And that's really the first thing I know. That was the only thing I knew back then. But then I had friends who suggested, why not pursue O-1 or EB-1? 
as a sound engineer. And back then, I was learning as I go. So when you say O1, you're essentially telling the government that you're an alien of extraordinary abilities. That is a legal technical word. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really funny. Alien of extraordinary abilities. And the first main questions they ask is, are you a Nobel Prize winner? If not, have you won an Oscar, a Grammy, a Tony Award? And if not, you have to meet three out of like 10 conditions. So it's a very existential journey because you have to prove to the government that you are an alien of extraordinary abilities. You have to prove to them how amazing you are. So it's it's really a lot of like, self-searching and existential like questioning of of self-reflection but for one year it it wasn't also a a smooth path for me I thought I did because right before graduating from college I, I I was actually one of the few audio engineering students to have a job waiting for them I was supposed to be working at the Aspen Music Festival as a recording engineer for the first three months of that year mm. however my employment authorization card that comes with your student visa didn't arrive on time. So they had to drop me just a few days before the job started. So now I had like three months of just nothing because I I blocked my entire world just to be able to work in Aspen. So I had to scramble to find jobs. But eventually, because I've just done a lot of work for the Berkeley Audio Engineering Department, the um, chair was able to put in a good word for me to be an internet avatar studios. So this is the studio in New York, eventually became Power Station, which is now owned by Berkeley. But back then it was its own entity. So yeah, it wasn't a walk in the park either. It's like I had to submit so many job applications, Craigslist, Mandy, I don't know what else was there, but I would send out like 10 a day. And even the internship at Avatar Studios, I sent my application twice. The first time, I didn't hear back from them. And after two weeks, I decided, Mm. let me try again. And I heard back and the rest is history from there. I I even like hired a graphics designer to properly make my resume stand out and all that, but it was still hard. And from there, when I worked in Avatar Studios, I eventually got hired to work for one of the producers that had their own rooms in Avatar. So I eventually ended up working with Jerry Barnes, where I started working for Nile Rogers, Roberta Flack, all these amazing musicians. And I thought that my future is going to be in New York. And even Jerry Barnes was willing to help me get my O-1 visa. And I already had all my paperwork ready, like about to send my application. But then I got a message from the mastering professor from Berklee College of Music, who eventually became like one of the heads of Isotope and was a president of the Audio Engineering Society. And he's become a good friend, Jonathan Weiner. He asked me if I'd be interested for this job opportunity to be the mastering assistant to Doug Sachs of the Mastering Lab. So if anyone would look up Doug Sachs in the internet, he's considered like the grandfather of mastering, opening the Mastering Lab in 1967 and eventually like mastering all of like the top hits from the 90s, 80s, like Pink Floyd, Fleetwood Mac, The Doors, Eagles, you name them, um, he, he masters for them. I knew that at that point that I wanted to work with Doug and there was one month left on my immigration. But Doug is pretty much familiar with the whole process. Even that whole process was like, it wasn't also easy. Like I had to go through like several stages of of interviews virtually. And I had to drive all the way to New Hampshire because his former assistant now has a studio there and like wanted to meet me in person. Yeah, it's like a, a whole process, but I eventually ended up just giving away my whole paperwork of like working in New York and ha- and just starting over with one month left in my immigration. But it just all worked out. I just knew in, in my heart that this was the path for me. And since then, this was back in 2013. I, I haven't looked back. 
I've since been a full-time mastering engineer and vinyl cutter. I learned how to cut vinyl records through Doug. He passed away in 2015, but then the Mastering Lab team, many of us eventually ended up opening the studio that we now run today called The Bakery in the Sony Pictures lot in Culver City. So it's definitely not a linear journey, but it makes you appreciate <laughs> where, where you are today. Totally. And I think a lot of people who are, you know, citizens don't necessarily realize all those steps you just mentioned. And there are 10,000 more. Exactly. Than what, like you need a sponsor. <laughs> There's no entrepreneur visa like every other country has. Like it is nightmarish to get through. It's nuts. And then like you need to prove that you're fucking amazing. The best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to be the best. And as someone who's just, who just loves our work, we're not the types to like be bragging about ourselves. It's very uncomfortable, but it's very good for like character building and you learn to market yourself from that. Yeah. And I'm curious throughout all this process, there were like kind of mini pivots because first it was just you were interested in music and technology and engineering in general. You got more interested in mastering. How did you kind of reconcile that in your head? Were you thinking, because I know a lot of people will think, oh, am I giving up on something? Shouldn't I try to do everything? Should I keep doing this one thing? Did you have those thoughts come up? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And it's funny because I agree for both sides of, of the argument. Number one, like the more you grow in your career, you will eventually want to identify with a, a major skill set. I see a lot of young engineers who keep promoting themselves as producer, engineer, recording engineer, mixing, mastering, and put that as like the, the main job title. One thing I learned from the whole immigration process is you would want to focus on one thing and be known for that. So rather than putting everything, mixing, recording, mastering, that's going to water down your whole application process. Focus on engineer. And that's going to strengthen the weight and, and the impact by not putting in so many disjointed things. And that's one advice that I've given to my peers where I know that my friend is an amazing mixer. But then she would keep telling people that, hey, I record too, I, I master too. But when you're a mix engineer, it, it's technically a given that you will be good at recording. But sell yourself as a mixer because then people will remember you for being the mixer. And in fact, she went on and just concentrated on that and eventually ended up getting all these mixing gigs for, for big hip hop artists. And it probably wouldn't have gotten there if she didn't focus on the fact that she's a mixer. And and I think it's not just a marketing mindset, but even a mindset on yourself. Like you get to like keep putting in your brain that you're a mixer. So promote yourself as one. And in fact, in the audio engineering world, there's not a lot of spotlight put into women mixers because there's not a lot of them. There's many amazing ones, but I think it takes discipline and and it's kind of scary at first to focus on just one thing and then run with it but by being a specific thing and and really showcasing that that is your strength you kind of become known for that and it's going to be hard to like find competition because people know you for that and if you're true to yourself your identity and and that particular strength you're going to be the go-to and if I could give that advice to as many peers, I would. But at the other side of that, um, you kind of don't want to get pigeonholed, especially when you're just starting out. Another advice that I like to say to people, especially nowadays, there can be young engineers, like young students that tell me they could be like 14 years old and they would ask me, how can I be a mastering engineer? I want to be a mastering engineer when I grow up. I would tell them, dude, all the mastering engineers you see who are like killing it in the business, they, they didn't know they will be mastering engineers. I didn't know I was going to be a mastering engineer. It's something that my, my path led me to. And it's really the, the passion that I have for audio and music in general that led me to that. In fact, before I got into the audio engineering program of Berkeley, I was telling myself that I was going to be a scoring engineer. Because, like, 
I love classical music as well since I toured with with choral music. I I have a strength in there that I don't see a lot of like peers in the Berkeley college program really doing as much. So I was like really selling myself a scoring engineer. And in fact, like that Aspen Music Festival gig kind of like leans more on that. But somehow, I guess just the fact that a lot of things that I did was just driven on my love for for what I'm doing rather than I'm going to be a scoring engineer. But it's really just, I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) I'm just happy to be like recording all you guys. I'm hoping resonated with someone like Jonathan Weiner. When the job opportunity opened for the Mastering Lab to be seeking a Mastering Engineer Assistant, he thought of me. And I I loved Mastering as well. I just didn't expect that that's the path that would land to me. But then when it got presented to me, like, heck yeah, let me do this thing. And, And that's been my bread and butter since. And also cutting vinyl. Didn't expect that I would be cutting vinyl records now. But here we are. My advice is when you're young, even if you're fixated on like one niche thing, I would encourage anyone to explore as much of what's available out there because they might be surprised that there are paths that they didn't know existed that was meant for them. And if they're too fixated on one thing, it kind of like closes the door for you to like discover all those things. So as someone who's just aspiring to pursue the music industry or audio industry, just absorb, be a sponge, learn as much of like the jobs that are out there, especially in like like video game and, and film. Not a lot of people know that all the job opportunities out there. So keep an open mind. That's what I tell them. And at the end of the day, like it's not like I'm asking anyone to just let go of all their different skill sets when you eventually end up with like one career path that you can identify with as as your strength cuz even to this day I've been a full-time mastering engineer but I like to dabble with web still after like teaching priests for a long time I love a lot of things that are like tech related and it gets applied to my love of mastering like I built the bakery website I'm able to promote the music that I master on a regular basis because of just my comfort level with like dealing with graphics and all that. So it's okay to be a jack of all trades, but ask yourself, what is your strength? And allow yourself to claim that and promote it and and really identify with it because that's what's going to set you apart from, from everyone else. Yeah, there's this interesting thing. I I don't know if you are aware of this, but during Berkeley, people would come up to me before you and I even met and would say, have you met Jet? She is so good. Like that came up all the time. That was like you were this mythical figure in my mind because I didn't meet you for like months after people just started coming up to me and talking to me about you all the time. It was like every two weeks. I was like, wow, this person must be amazing. And it turns out, yes. That that means a lot. That's that's good to know. That's funny. It's really cool to see. And I'm sure that happened at your internships and your first gigs and stuff in some capacity as well. And on top of, you know, being very clear about who you are and how you, what your skill set is, how else did you kind of stand out? Because there is a sea of, you know, engineers. If I just type in music engineer right now, I'll have 400,000 people come up and most I don't know who's good and who's not. Maybe I'm uneducated. I'll just pick someone random. So like, how do you kind of be known beyond just focusing on a skill? That is a good question okay let me make sure i don't lose sight of that question because that means so much that like really made my day but i think uh, a lot of that like people knowing what i did back in berkeley it's mostly because i'm just always in the studios like i said earlier i was just happy to be there i was just really fortunate like I knew the privilege of being in this school because just being surrounded by all these talented musicians I am not like a songwriter or anything my passion is recording y'all let me record you guys and let me work with you and let me like learn from you guys but how am I able to like set myself apart from everyone else I think how I'd answer that question is it's gonna depend on every individual person but how I think it's worked for me is reflecting on what makes me unique in a way that kind of like helps me tame the 
temptation to compare myself to others. And it's hard because it's like, sometimes I feel like an outsider because like audio engineering is, is a very male dominated world. And I feel like I have to internalize what everyone else is doing and, and do the same thing. But I think asking ourselves what sets us apart and what makes us us is really what gets us ahead. So one example that I, I like to share, the more that I got into mastering, for example, I, I'm starting to like look into the fact that me being a woman, me being Filipino, Asian, working in LA as a mastering engineer and vinyl cutter, I have in a way opened the door to like this wide demographic of people who have never really had access to commercial level mastering and vinyl before when it was mostly just white straight dudes like the philippines didn't have a mastering facility even to this day there's no independent mastering facilities in many countries but now they know someone who does at, at least in la in a way it's like focusing on the things that make me me actually allowed me the opportunity to work with a lot of people that I personally enjoy working with. Our studio has a lot of clientele, not just from the Philippines, but from other countries in Asia, Europe. I recently just did music for someone from Belgium, Hungary, India, Dubai, Singapore. I take pride in the fact that every time I post my weekly mastered releases in social media, there is never a time where it's just English. I master a lot of music that's also like Spanish or, or other languages, but there's always at least two languages represented when, when I master music. And I think it's just the fact that I, I focus on like where I come from. Mm -hmm. And that allowed me to, I guess, set my place in the audio engineering world. This is what I mostly do. And also at the same time, it's not just like my, my background, me coming from the Philippines, also my interests. Among my, my peers in the bakery, I do the most mastering of video game music because I fucking love video games. <laughs> and, and it just so happened that it's like I get along with um, people who are in that world as well. And us coming from Berkeley and, and being in our community of people who love video games, it just doesn't end there many of these people eventually end up doing a lot of video game related projects as soon as they graduated. I do a lot of work with two friends from video game choir to this day, Daniel Jimenez and Mary Kate uh, Jimenez, who are now married. They do a lot of video game music. And from there, I got introduced to Lena Rain. And I do a lot of mastering for Lena Rain, her work on chicory was something that i'm really proud of and even to this day like i did this really cool video game project with you know um km um falk oh yes absolutely yeah falk is such an amazing guy who now does a lot of like video game productions and engineering like he's he did like sonic like final fantasy along with the video game orchestra so i haven't worked with them but through Falk, I was able to work with a, a really cool project called No Straight Roads. It's a video game that is like a competition between the Rock Kingdom and the EDM Kingdom. <laughs> so imagine the mastering work on that. And I also cut the vinyl record for that. The most recent video game project that I've mastered is the Evo tournament music. Cool. And even that came from like my community of just video game nerds from Berkeley. So Zed Tabani mm -hmm. is my main contact. Mason Lieberman, Igor Stolarski, like all these people was because I just stayed true to the things I enjoyed and it just makes my work so much more enjoyable. And from there, in fact, my work with OFK, mm -hmm. even you, Akash, was able to connect me with some video game project developers and I had the honor of mastering for OFK but even from there it kind of led to a non-video game project that I'm really excited about I recently mastered for this Interscope Records artist her name's Toa Bird just fucking badass rock music and that happened because of OFK and me sticking to like my identity like things I loved 
I think it's just what made me set apart because it's just it just made me enjoy my job more. And at the end of the day, word of mouth just takes its course and just exponentially grows the people that that I work with. And it made me love my job all the more. So you just mentioned so many neat things, so many different gigs with Interscope and video games and artists all over the world. And we were talking before this, and you mentioned mastering engineers have this unique position where you have to do so many things in one day, whereas a typical engineer might just sit there and do one thing. They would record one orchestra for a film that day, and they're they're good. Whereas you have five different artists from all different styles of music that you need to finish right now. How does that work? How does that balance happen? Where does your mind space go? How do you keep your ears healthy? All these sorts of things. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that is not often discussed when it's among mastering engineers. It's kind of just a given that this is one of the challenges, but it is a fucking challenge. And I think this is something that is mostly unique to the world of mastering engineers because engineering tends to be a long process and you really get involved with a team of like just one group of producers, songwriters, artists, all working on just one project for a long period of time. That is not the case for mastering. Like, we could um, finish one album in one day. I could be working on um, six different singles in one day and different genres. I could be working on two projects, different clients that are the same genre, same styles, but they want completely opposite things. So the thing that's the most challenging is really managing your mental health <laughs> through all of this. Because, first of all, one of my main weaknesses is writing. And I struggle with like writing emails to people. But it's like something that I have to, to do. It helps that our studio manager um, shares a lot of the bandwidth with me, which is very helpful. But even... The whole process of, of going through client feedback and revisions, it is an emotional journey for every project. And imagine having to manage multiple projects at the same time. So like, it's still a work in progress for me, but it helps to just take a break when, when I have to. Even taking breaks in between music, like making sure that I give my ears time to just rest and even in between, like, for example, it's a long project, one full album in one day. There would be times where I would feel stuck. But even just taking a break, like playing a Sudoku on the side for like <laughs> a few minutes, like that makes a huge difference already. Another thing that's helped me is one of the perks of being a mastering engineer is that we have a good control over our schedule compared to others. Because sometimes you're going to be pressured to work 12 hours during the weekend or something especially when you're like recording but with mastering we have better control over our hours so at the very least i make sure that my weekends are like sacred and just me making sure that i have time and not forgetting my hobbies i tend to forget that sometimes my boyfriend sometimes reminds me don't forget to zelda because <laughs> yeah like i am a fucking completionist with video games it's like a curse and a blessing like a platinum ghost of tsushima oh, my God. <laughs> oh yeah that's amazing and right now i'm like in completionist mode right now for tears of the kingdom oh, nice. yeah i've lit up the whole underground and, and got an award for oh my god <laughs> but yeah that helps me a lot and yeah like just making sure that my identity is not just mastering and not just audio engineering like it's again it's still a work in progress for me because like my life I, I dedicated my life to like really pursuing this vocation this career so it helps me to remind myself that there's more to my life besides audio i recently got into bike commuting nice so I've been biking to work for over a year and I think I've already reached 1000 miles of just biking people say I'm crazy but there's a really big community of of bike commuters here. I joined this group called Women on Bikes Culver City that it's made up of mostly old women. Nice. And these grandmas 
do their best to like encourage people to not be afraid of the road. And that's what I've been doing. Just reminding yourself that you have a life outside of work. <laughs> now, there's a question that I ask everyone who comes on here as we start to wrap up. And that's when you first started. And that could be when you're in the Philippines, just getting your bearings. It could be when you're first starting at that first studio. What was your definition of success when you're first starting out? And over time, how has that definition changed? And what is that definition now? <laughs> God, well, I think the main success for me, which has never changed, is that I just get to do what I love as my career. I think that's the biggest success. And, and I think it's a dream come true for me that I'm doing what I'm doing. That for me is success, that I'm able to do what I'm doing, doing what I, I love and making a living out of it. It's funny, um, my friend Eva Reistad, another amazing engineer, makes the score for Dune, just for example. She posted a meme recently where she said, instead of working 40-day work weeks, how about you just choose to do the work you love and work 24-7? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wouldn't encourage that. But yeah, like the fact that I'm just making a living as a sound engineer just makes me happy. As for like how it's transformed over the years, I guess now that I'm like 38, I'm allowing myself to be more pragmatic and even encouraging myself to really push the envelope, not to sound boring, but allowing myself to not just make a living, but actually just like make money off of that, like actually build wealth, save, learn more about long-time investments and, and being smart about it. That's one of the things that I really got into um, the past few years is really learning finance and, and just being smart about it. Because for a long time, I was just telling myself, as long as I'm working in music and I can pay the bills, I have no complaints, I, I'm content. But it's like me as a woman, like I shouldn't limit my abilities to just, okay, I'm making this much now and like, that's it. I want women in audio to know that they're worth more than what people say they are. So yeah, just allowing myself to dream big. And also, I guess another thing that I thought I'd mention, especially since it's Grammy season. And in fact, just a few hours ago, I found out that two albums I mastered one of the Latin Grammys. Latin Grammys is happening right now. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like my, my friend just texted me <laughs> in, in Spanish. <laughs> Congrats. Thank you. Best Children's Album, Danilo and Chappies, that's the artist, and Monsieur Perrin, Best Alternative Album. And then the, the main Grammys nominations just came out, and two albums that I mastered also made it to the Grammys. So Best Contemporary Blues, Ruthie Foster, and Best Pop Latin Album, Gabby Moreno. I guess another thing that I would consider success is just Again, the fact that I work with these amazing people on a daily basis, there is this misconception. Actually, a very established mixer recently told me that I'm lucky that I'm a mastering engineer because I could take home more Grammy Awards than him <laughs> because I work with a lot of projects on a smaller time frame. But that is a big myth. And I want to clear that up. If you want to win a Grammy Award, if you want to win a trophy, do not become a fucking mastering engineer. <laughs> because, like, it's weird. Like, people have this misconception that because we master so many projects and, and they can get nominated, that we take home the Grammys. In fact, out of all the engineers, for example, Best Rock Album wins. All the engineers who worked in that album takes home the Grammys, except for the mastering uh... engineer. Not a lot of people know that. Huh. Mastering engineers only take home the gramophone, like the actual award, for very few categories. Album of the year, record of the year, best engineered album, classical, non-classical, best historical album. Like at the end of the day, there's very smaller chances <laughs> of you actually having a Grammy when you're a master engineer. We do collect a lot of certificates though. Mm -hmm. So one reminder for anyone out there, if you ever work even just a little bit on an album that's nominated for a Grammy, even if they don't win, you are entitled to a certificate that says that, that 
you worked on a Grammy-nominated album, get those certificates, man. Like, don't take those for granted. But yeah, it's like I can fill a, a whole room right now <laughs> with like certificates. But that makes me happy. That for me is success. If I eventually take home a gramophone, great. In fact, like there's a Berkeley alumni from MPNE who actually have won the actual gramophones as a mastering engineer. And I give him a shout out, Emerson Mancini, who does a lot of like work with John Batiste, essentially that word SZA, amazing. So highly recommend. But yeah, yeah. If you want actual Grammy <laughs> awards, don't become a mastering engineer. <laughs> What a beautiful note to end up on. But last question for you is, where can people find you? Oh, yeah. Well, it's hard to not find me on the internet. My name's Jet Galindo. So just a quick Google will help you find where my work is. In fact, my Instagram actually shows a very detailed like list of stuff I've mastered. I always make a point that I promote every project that I, I've mastered. People say it's crazy, but... It's something that I love to do. So people can find a link on stuff I've mastered from the Instagram account, Jet Galindo. But we can also find me on in our mastering studio, The Bakery. Again, also another thing that's easy to find, Bakery Mastering. We're located here in Los Angeles inside the Sony Pictures lot. But if you look up Bakery Mastering, that's our Instagram account as well. And our website is thebakery.la. And... Feel free to reach out for any questions about mastering. And in fact, if you're still learning mastering right now, I would also recommend checking out the mastering articles that I've written for Isotope. So I've written 30 articles just on mastering at the Isotope Learn portal. And I highly recommend reading each one of them. I cover so many things about mastering over there. So highly recommend checking that out too if you want to learn about mastering. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. That means a lot. And I think people are going to get quite a bit out of this. I, I hope so. And yeah, it's an honor, Akash. Thank you for, for having me. And thank you for doing this podcast. It, it's amazing. And, and more people should learn a thing or two from your podcast. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound B-I-Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.